If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And while you are turning there, I'd like to remind you of the tremendous opportunity. Um, I would go so far as to say is responsibility that we have as a church. Um, the Lord has gifted us with this parking deck, which um, has just worked fantastic for us. Um, in some ways, it reminds us of old school Redeemer when we actually had to set up and take down each week. And, and you couldn't really do much, but you can still gather together to pray and to sing and hear God's word preached. It thrills my heart to see so many people here this morning. And the opportunity that I want to remind us that we have is that God has given this facility where we can accommodate more and we can invite people. And I think this is actually our responsibility as well. Uh, if you are a freshman and you are coming in town, uh, for most people, school starts, or college students, it starts tomorrow or on Tuesday. So they will be arriving shortly. There's not really any places that you can go to worship right now because of this pandemic. You can't just go and show up. Uh, almost every church out there, you have to make reservations right now. Um, they're at 25% capacity. And so what that means is for these hundreds, if not thousands of freshmen that are showing up at, in Birmingham, is if they do not come here, it's not that they're not choosing another church to go to, it's that they're choosing not to go to church because the church is not available to them. That's a tremendous opportunity and responsibility for us as a church that we need to go and bring our college students in. And not just our college students, but for those who have just moved into this city, perhaps for a new job, they've just graduated, they've moved here. Uh, what a terrible time to move into a city. But once again, they cannot just attend a church, but the Lord has given us a facility in which we can invite people to come. So I want to encourage you to ask those who, who can't find another place, those who would normally not be part of a church, ask them to come. Those who don't know the Lord, this is a great opportunity to invite them. Tell them you're not going to church. You just want them to check out a parking deck. All right, and then just, you know, just have them here. And let me say the next few weeks are going to be gospel-saturated, a great opportunity for them to hear the gospel. Um, and so this is our chance to do that. And I want to encourage you, church, to do so. Uh, we've been listening to a lot of experts, um, rightly so. Um, and, but what we haven't been hearing is uh, experts in soul care. Uh, and I would, if I could humbly say, I've been doing soul care for a long time. And what I'm finding is, what does it profit a person if he gains his whole body and he forfeits his soul? And it's time for us to begin gathering and I'm excited that we are gathering together in person and we're hearing one another sing and that we have this community of faith. So be sure to open this up and invite that um, to those whom you know who are not part of a church. All right, Matthew 22, we begin our, or we continue our series uh, through the parables. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. 
But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, I pray that now through your spirit we would feast on your word. That your word would do its work in us. That it would not return out of your mouth void. But it would accomplish your purpose. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. The kingdom of God is often the subject of Jesus' parables. And I think the reason they are is because he knows we have a hard time grasping hold of what the kingdom of God means and what the kingdom of God is all about. Often when we think of the kingdom of God, we, we just think of it in terms of maybe things we have to give up. Like we have to give up having fun. We now have to obey rules. We now have to get in line. Uh, perhaps we have to give up listening to good music and start listening to cheesy music. Uh, we have to start going to Chick-fil-A, uh, maybe work at a soup kitchen. Uh, we have all of these strange notions as what it means to, to become a Christian, to be a part of his kingdom. But Jesus here, he tells us what the kingdom of God is actually like. He says, I don't know what you've heard, but this is what the kingdom of, of God is like. It's like a wedding feast. It's a party. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus says this. Um, after all, his very first miracle was not healing a lame person or healing someone blind. It wasn't raising someone from the dead. His very first miracle was to turn water into wine. And to take what was a mediocre party and, and take it up a few notches into it where it became the absolute best party. Because the kingdom of God is a feast. It's a party in which God is present. Now in this parable we have before us, Jesus is going to teach us four things about this feast. Actually, he teaches us more. I'm going to teach you only four things that Jesus says about this feast, about the kingdom of God. And each one of these things is going to humble us. 
So let me go ahead and give you the outline of the sermon. Uh, We are going to look at the extravagance of the kingdom of God. We're going to look at uh, the slowness of the kingdom. Then we're going to look at the openness of the kingdom. And then we are going to look at what we must wear to be a part of the kingdom. And each one of these things will humble us. Humility is required to be part of the kingdom of God. Uh, So let's look at extravagance. Here we see the extravagance of the kingdom of God. This is a royal wedding feast. The parable begins with a king who has a son who's getting married. And because he has tremendous love for his son, he wants to honor his son. And he thinks the best way to do that is to have this elaborate feast. And the king is spared no expense. The oxen are killed. The fattened calves have been prepared. You have as much filet mignon as you want. Eat as much ribeye as you can handle. Organic vegetables, if you're into that sort of thing, available for you. The best food and wine. You have your champagne, Pappy Van Winkle, 23. Everything you could ever want there at this feast, it's all been extravagantly given to you. And it's free. But because of its extravagance and because of its freeness, do you see how humbling that is? You're not being invited to a potluck dinner in which you know you are supposed to bring a dish to share with everybody. Uh, if somebody invites you to Hot and Hot Fish Club downtown uh, and say they're going to pay for your meal, you, you don't say, hey, that's great. Let me first stop at home. I'll, you know, I'll cook up some mac and cheese and I'll bring it with me to share. Like, no, you'll ruin the dinner. You'll insult the host. This is a much better dinner than you are thinking. This feast here is so extravagant. It can only be offered for free because no payment that any of us could possibly give could be remotely sufficient. So what this means is we have to swallow our pride. We have to come to grips that there's absolutely nothing that we can contribute to this table. We can't contribute to this party. We can only come. And to even try to contribute to this party shows we have no idea as to how glorious it is. To get into the kingdom of God and to enjoy its pleasures, you have to realize that no matter how good you are, no matter how many good deeds you have done, they will not buy you a seat at this table. So you submit to its extravagance. You are humbled by its freeness. And next, we are to be humbled by the slowness of the kingdom. The kingdom of God does not come to us immediately. Uh, We've already learned this as we've been looking through the parables uh, because we've seen that the kingdom of God, it, it comes to us like a seed that takes time to grow. It comes to us like leaven that's, that's worked into the dough and takes time to leaven all of the bread. Uh, here we see it comes to us like a party, but to one in whom we are first invited, 
And then we have to wait. As you know, from being invited to many royal parties, I'm sure, uh, royal parties, you were invited through a series of invitations. Uh, first, there would be an invitation that would be sent out to you, letting you know that there was going to be a royal feast uh, sometime in the weeks ahead or perhaps the months ahead. Uh, perhaps it came with a, a little save the date picture that you could put on your fridge so, so you knew the time was coming. And it's then that you would RSVP to that invitation and you would send in your yes. And then you would wait for the next invitation that would come on the day that the wedding feast had arrived. So the story that Jesus tells us here, it doesn't begin with that first invitation. It begins with the second invitation. The king is calling on those who have already RSVP'd their yes. They've heard the gospel and they responded with yes. They were coming. And actually, they literally said yes to the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. The word is euangelion, and it literally was a declaration from the king. Uh, it's why we call it good news. The king is putting out good news, the gospel. So they literally heard the good news from the king, and they had said yes to the gospel. However, after saying yes to this party, they then had to wait for the party to come. It's kind of like the seed that responded to the, to the gospel or it received, the soil received that seed with great joy. But then it wilted away. Because waiting is hard. Um, I live in a house full of women. Um, three daughters, my wife, even my dog is a girl. Um, what that means is I get slapped a lot. Um, not usually in the face. Uh, no, not in the face at all, but I get, I get slapped um, whenever I'm trying to reach for something they are baking. Uh, because my girls, they, they love to bake things. All the time they're making brownies, they're, they're making cookies, and, and usually when they come right out of the oven and they set them there and I can smell it, I immediately come up and I'm reaching for it and I immediately get slapped. Dad, those are not for now. Those are for later. You have to wait. I'm like, but daddy wants them now. I'm like, no, you, you can't have them. Here, we'll let you lick the bowl. And be like, so I'll lick the bowl and be like, well, that cookie's kind of broken. And so I'm like, fine. And so they might, they might give me a little taste of the cookie, but like, dad, you have to wait to eat those. That's what Jesus is doing here. He says his father is making the preparations, but we have to wait. We might be able to now smell the feast. Maybe at times we, we get a few tastes. We're allowed to lick the bowl, if you will, and it actually increases our appetite for what's to come. But ultimately, we have to submit to his timetable. And we wait. And we wait. The people in this parable ended up not going they couldn't wait that long. Uh, they, they got settled into their lives. If you read that, what happened, they literally just went back to work. They went back to work instead of going to the feast. 
I think it's interesting that it wasn't, you know, like not going to the feast because they're meeting up with their mistress, you know, or they're going off doing drugs or like they're, they're planning to rob someplace. They're not doing anything bad. It's actually doing something good that keeps them out of the kingdom of God. They just couldn't wait so long. So we have to humble ourselves to the Lord's timetable. The kingdom of God comes slowly. Third, we see the openness of the kingdom. After being rejected by some, the king then orders his messengers to go to the main roads and to invite as many people as possible to this wedding feast. The main roads, um, some of your Bibles might say the intersections, uh, these were just outside of the main gates of the city. And it was here that you would find all sorts of people on these main roads, these highways, if you will. You would find the wealthy and the poor, and the master and the servant. You would find the, the thief and the honest laborer, the Jew and the Gentile. Everybody would be on the main roads. Once they got into the city, they could take the smaller little winding roads all to their own neighborhoods. But they would have to share this main road first. So when the king tells his servants to go to the main roads, he is saying, everyone's invited. Everyone is invited to this feast. Not one person is to be excluded. And in, and in verse 10, we read that both the bad and the good are even gathered to come. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10, he says, Now when those hired first came, whoops, I'm in the wrong chapter. Here we go. The wind flipped it over. 22.10 says, And the servants went onto the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And almost like to tell you that there was more bad than good, we always say the good and bad. But it's saying there was bad, got the bad and the good. So that the wedding hall was filled with guests. When Jesus says that the bad and the good come, this was a bombshell shocking these people because that is not how religion works. It's those who are good who are invited into the kingdom. Those who are bad are excluded. Those who are good get to go to heaven. Those who are bad go to hell. That's literally what the world is, is hanging its hat on. That's what the world believes. And Jesus blows that all apart and he says, no, this is a feast for the bad and the good. What kind of king wants a feast for both, both bad and good people? I'll tell you, it's a king who wants his wedding hall full. Who wants as many people as possible to pack out this wedding hall so that his son might receive honor. That's the type of king who wants this. Hear me, I know that some of you have, you, you think you've done too many bad things. You've hurt too many people. You have failed too many times. You've said terrible things to people. You've thought even darker things. And you think there's absolutely no way that God could ever forgive me or love me. But I want you to know that Jesus knows all of this. And you don't know the half of how bad you are. You're far worse. 
but He still has reserved a seat for you at His table. He still has reserved it. He is still pleading with you to come to His feast, to enter into His kingdom. He's saying your good works do not get you into this kingdom, nor do your bad works exclude you. All you have to do is respond to my invitation and come. So throughout this parable, we see Jesus pleading with people to come. Good or bad doesn't matter. Just come. Come to the feast that His Father is throwing in His honor. But do not make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is saying, just come as you are. Jesus is not saying, just come as you are. The parable here, it seems, has reached its conclusion at the end of verse 10 with this wedding hall being filled with guests. However, Jesus, he continues the story. He just he adds this unusual addition to the story about the king going out, finding someone who wasn't wearing a wedding garment, and then kicking him out of the party. And then just to make sure you know what Jesus is really talking about, said this person is going to be bound, cast into outer darkness, where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, he is talking about eternal judgment if you are caught wearing the wrong thing. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, he preached on this parable. Uh, and it actually took him three weeks to preach through it. It's only going to take me 25 because I'm a lot better. Um, no, it, it took him he, he, three whole weeks to, to flesh out this, yet he failed to actually mention anything about the wedding garments. As a result, there was a number of people who were going to join his church, and they didn't. And he asked why, and they said, we're scared. Well, why are you scared? Like, well, you never told us what the wedding garments were about. And we're scared that if we get in the church, you might kick us out for wearing the wrong thing. And so then Spurgeon spent two more weeks preaching on nothing about what, only what these wedding garments were all about. And he began to realize, actually, this is the point of the entire parable. At this party, the king is interacting now with the guest. He's looking all around and he notices one person not wearing their wedding garment. And so in verse 12, he approaches him, kindly approaches him, and just says, Friend, how did you get in here without wearing a wedding garment? Now, today, this king might have said, How did you get in here without wearing a tuxedo? How did you not get in here without get in here without wearing your evening gown? evening dress. Now we might think that this is an unusual question because this man had literally just been invited off the street. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't normally carry a tuxedo with me when I'm just out and about. But he was invited off the street and told to come immediately. Uh, so he didn't have time to go home. And perhaps even if he did have time to go home, he perhaps wasn't wealthy enough to own a wedding garment. We don't know. However, notice that when the king asked him, how did he get in here without a wedding garment? He had no excuse. 
there was no valid reason for him not wearing it. And the reason that he doesn't have any excuse is because we know at this time, during the most lavish royal parties, the king himself would provide the garments. If it was a costume party, you were given a costume. If it was a wedding feast, you were given wedding robes. The man, apparently here, had simply refused to wear the wedding garments that he had been given. Which is why when the king approached him and asked him, why isn't he wearing wearing his garments? He had no answer to give. And this is why he was bound and he was cast into darkness. You see that the king, he, he comes and in his generosity, he invites us to his feast, but we are not allowed to come as we are. We have to have, allow ourselves to be clothed by him. And this is humbling because what this means is that the best clothes we have will not suffice. No matter how much we clean up ourselves, no matter how nice we think we look in comparison to others or when we look in the mirror, we must be stripped of our own clothes and put on the clothes the king gives us in order to come to this feast. Three years ago, my wife and I, we bought tickets to go and see U2 in concert at the Superdome in New Orleans. Um, We're huge U2 fans. Um, I think I was like eight or nine years old when I first asked Bono into my heart. Um, anyway, as, as the day for the concert approached, uh, Lauren's mom uh, reached out because she, she really needed our help. Um, she was battling cancer, and Lauren needed to take her to an appointment. We kept trying to figure out how we could do both, and ultimately we realized um, we just would not have the time to be able to do it. And so we decided we would not go to the concert. And then we get this phone call from a friend of a friend who calls up and says, hey, I heard you were going to the U2 concert. Would you mind if my wife and I just tagged along with you? And so I'd explain. I said, well, we were going to go, but now I don't think we have enough time to go. And so I'm sorry about that. Um, And he says, well, why don't you just ride with me in my private jet there. I said, whoa, are, are you sure? Because we could take mine. Uh, <laughs> and, and he goes, no, I'll, I'll, if, if you're open to that, I'll just have my driver swing by and pick you up and, uh, and take you to the airport. And I said, done. Uh, and so he, his driver came by, picked us up, took us to the airport. We get on his private jet. Um, we're flying to the concert and and, and during this flight, you know, we are served champagne, strawberries, caviar, like all of this stuff. It's, it's really over the top. And I was surprised at the thoughts I had. It, it took me about 10 minutes to think, I think Redeemer needs a jet. <laughs> like, I wonder, like, if we really ran the numbers in our budget, like, think of the ministry I could do if I had a private jet. Uh, so, so those thoughts were filling my mind. And, uh, and then the other thing that was happening was I was trying to act like I've been there before. Like, oh, this is just another private jet ride for me. 
Um, but that went out the window after about 10 minutes uh, before Lauren and I started just shamelessly throwing all the snacks in our pockets, stuffing our, uh, her purse, like everything we had, like we had never seen nice bags of M&Ms before. Uh, but we were like, all of this is free and we're taking it all. It was enough to, uh, to put in our kids' lunches for weeks. And so we're doing all of this. Uh, and then as we're getting close to landing, um, the guy whose jet we're in, he, he says, hey, um, if, if you guys don't mind, you, you've been so kind to allow me to uh, tag along with you. Um, can I buy, buy you guys dinner? And I said, yes, we have been kind to you. <laughs> sure, we will allow you to buy us dinner. And so he goes we walk up to the nicest restaurant there in New Orleans, and he waves his little magic wand, which was just a lot of cash, uh, and, it, and it opened up the doors for us, and they allowed us in. And so I can already smell the food, and, and we're going in there, and then the hostess comes and stands before me and says, I'm sorry, sir, you cannot come in. I, I said, why not? And she goes, you have to be wearing a coat to come in. It's like, are you kidding me? I've, I've got to wear a coat to come in. It, it was terribly embarrassing. Um, and it's not like, you know, I was, I was wearing camouflage shorts and a tank top. Um, I, was, I was wearing my private jet clothes, which are nicer than these. Uh, they're, the, they're the khakis, you know, with just a nice dress shirt. Um, I thought I looked pretty respectable, but it, I wasn't dressed nice enough for that place. And it was humiliating. The hostess then said, don't worry, sir. If you want, I've, I've got a blazer that you can wear. And so he went and he got the blazer. And he said, you could wear this if you like. Now, I'll tell you, in that moment, my pride swelled up in me. And I, I felt like saying, hey, if you won't accept me as I am, I'll just go someplace else. Like, I'm too good for this place. <laughs> But then I could smell the food. I could literally look in and I could see the empty table where our, our, they, they made our reservation for it. I could see it there. And, and I realized I had a choice. I could either, in my pride, just leave wearing the clothes I was wearing, or I could humble myself and allow myself to be dressed by someone else and to go in and enjoy this feast. And so I allowed myself to be dressed by this hostess. And then I went in and I feasted. What Jesus here is teaching us is that our best righteousness, the best clothes of righteousness that we can put on is not sufficient. If we were to clothe ourselves with our best works, with all of our good deeds, the prophet Isaiah says it's nothing more than filthy rags. It's not going to get us into a feast like this. However, we have a kind king. He says this feast won't cost you anything, but at great expense to himself, he gives us the clothes to wear. Such a great expense it would actually cost the very blood of his son. Throughout these parables, throughout the teachings of Jesus, 
we're often reminded that it is not the good who get into the kingdom and the bad who are denied. No, we see both good and bad in the kingdom enjoying the feast. It's the humble who get in, and it's the proud who are denied. So the question is, have you humbled yourself? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus, asking for his forgiveness, asking to be dressed in his righteousness and not your own, knowing you do not have the right clothes to wear and you have nothing to bring to the table? If so, ask today, plead today for Jesus to clothe you so that you can go into that feast. All throughout the Bible, that invitation that goes out, you will never hear Jesus saying, respond tomorrow. Always you are to respond immediately when the invitation goes out. And for some of you, you are hearing that invitation right now in this moment. That invitation might not be there tomorrow, but it's here today, and I would ask that you would respond. Come and enjoy the feast with your king. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Lord of the feast, that to be part of your kingdom was to enjoy pleasures forevermore because there we will be in your presence. Lord, and I pray that right now, the bad and the good, everyone, will, will hear your invitation and will respond. That we will respond with humility and allow you to dress us with your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.